Hello, I'm Ken, and this is Teach Medieval. And on today's episode, I am yet again very excited indeed to be welcoming Professor Jonathan Harris. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Ken. Jonathan is Professor of the History of Byzantium at Royal Holloway University of London and the author of a number of key texts on the empire, including Byzantium and the Crusades, which is coming out in a third edition in December 2022. Now, before we begin, I am going to take a second again to remind you that this is episode four of a larger mini-series of five on the topic of the Byzantine Empire by 1095. So if you haven't listened to episodes one, two, and three already, please go and do so now and then come back here and join us when you're ready. So now that we've got that bit out of the way, Jonathan, let's begin, shall we? Let's go. So our topic for this, uh, our next episode is the threat that the Seljuks represented in the east in Anatolia. Could you just remind us for a minute, Jonathan, what had happened in 1071? Well, the Byzantines lose the Battle of Manzikert. It's not a huge disaster, but the civil wars that follow give the chance for various groups, um, Seljuk Turks, Danish men Turks, um, Armenians, Normans, to grab parts of um, Asia Minor, parcel it out among themselves, and really, within 10 years, the Byzantines have lost control of the whole area. Is it that extreme? I mean, does, is the vast majority of that uh, Anatolian peninsula gone? Well, it's certainly um, not under the control of Byzantine administration, and they're not drawing tax from it. Um, there are some cities that hold out, Trebizond on the Black Sea, for some reason. I suppose it, it has a kind of shield of mountains which keep it safe. Um, and the very far west of the area, so literally the area just facing Constantinople, the Byzantines managed to hang on to that. But generally, yes, they have lost it. My goodness. Right. So perhaps the, you know, the most prominent leader of this Seljuk conquest of Anatolia is Suleiman. What do we know about this man and how he, what his background is and how he came to be here at this time? Well, he is a kind of spare Seljuk royal, really. Um, he is a member of the ruling dynasty uh, of the great Seljuk empire. But um, the political climate there got a bit hot for him. He backed the wrong horse. Um, in in uh, uh, some political machinations. So he decides to move west to make his fortune with a band of followers. So that's what they do. Um, they head west looking for land and they go further and further west because um, most of the land seems to be taken by somebody else. So he ends up in the area of Nicaea. Right. Um, and there he gets into a fight with uh, this general, Nikiaforus Botaniates, who's on his way to um, Constantinople to overthrow Michael VII. And after a short fight, um, Botaniati says, look, um, hang on, why are we fighting? Um, why don't you become my allies and help me mm -hmm. um, in, to, for the throne? And Suleiman says, yes, yeah, sure. Um, so it's arranged that when Nikiforos Botaniates goes to Constantinople to seize power, Suleiman should look after the city of Nicaea, which he does. So he occupies the city of Nicaea, and that becomes his capital. 
um, for the time being, he starts calling himself Sultan mm -hmm. of Nicaea. Yeah. Um, because Nicephorus Botaniates uh, doesn't come back to, uh, to claim Nicaea. So effectively, um, Suleiman now has what he was looking for, some kind of uh, territory which he can rule over. And then he uses this as his base to expand, does he, and take over more and more uh, of Anatolia and assert his authority over a wider and wider area and ends up with the Sultanate of Rum. Well, yes. I mean, this is, I mean, again, the very fact that he calls it that is quite indicative because it means the Roman Sultanate, mm -hmm. I, the Sultan in Byzantium. Yep. Um, so effectively, yes, he, he does kind, kind of rule it. Um, he's uh, in the area around about, but he is, of course, painfully aware that the Byzantine emperor might be coming back at some point to reclaim it. Um, so he really has to dig himself in while he's got the chance. And how far eastwards did his power stretch? Because by 1085, I think he's managed to lay his hands on another prized Byzantine city. Well, he does. It, it does extend eastwards. He starts to chip away at the land taken by other groups, uh, particularly by the Armenians. Um, it was the, uh, an Armenian adventurer called Philaratos who had grabbed Antioch, which was a Byzantine city. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's sort of installed himself there. But Suleiman, you know, in, in the 1080s, do, does manage to get hold of Antioch. So now he's got a sort of long, stringy territory um, which um, heads out in that direction. It's, there's some doubt about exactly um, where, you know, how far Suleiman's writ runs. I mean, it looks likely that, that Antioch actually is um, under the control more of the great Seljuk Sultan. Um, and again, we don't, I think these maps which show territories with nice, neat lines, I think it's often very vague about who, who actually gets what. Mm -hmm. um, and Asia Minor is a case in point. It's absolute chaos, really. Nobody's quite sure. You might hold something one day and then somebody else will come along and take it. Um, but nevertheless, Suleiman is, is, has built up a certain power base there. That's true. But then he's taken out in 1086, is that right? Under the uh, instruction of his cousin, Malik Shah? Yes, um, Seljuk politics um, spill over into Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. Yes, as far as the Byzantines are concerned, though, Suleiman um, is not a great threat. He's not. They're really not worried about him. They're worried about the Normans mm -hmm. and they're worried about the Pechenegs. But Suleiman, um, he just sits there in Nicaea and causes them um, no, no, no problem. Um, while, of course, the Normans are invading. So what do the Byzantines do when they need help against the Normans? Who do they go to? They go to Suleiman. Right. OK. I mean, they're going to where lots of people. The Byzantines ask the Venetians, they ask the German emperor, but they also... Um, um, approach Suleiman. I think it's very important when looking at this situation not to assume it's Christians versus Muslims. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, Christians versus Christians in the Balkans at the moment. Mm -hmm. So if a Muslim power can help, the Byzantines are only too happy um, to recruit them. So that's Suleiman. Uh, there's Danish men, Ghazi, there's Chaka. What are these men up to? Well, these are more kind of a Turkic event, Turkish adventurers, really. Um, Danish men turns up in the town of Sebastia um, in now in eastern Turkey. It's called Sivas these days and bases himself there, um, dominates the territory roundabout, takes over the town of Melitene, now known as Malatya. Um, and Chaka, so he heads west and then goes, um, reaches the sea at uh, Smyrna, which is now Izmir, 
and sets up his little little power base there. So they're all at it, really. And Chaka's maybe more antagonistic, is he, than Suleiman then? Because Chaka, does he build a, a pirate fleet? Well, exactly. He's, he, once he's reached the sea, um, what's he going to do? The Turks are not natural seafarers. They come from the, uh, the, the steppes of Central Asia. Luckily, of course, the local population... Um, is composed of of people who know how to build ships and know how to navigate them. So he gets them to build the fleet for him, and he uses that fleet to raid um, various Byzantine islands in the Aegean and to um, head north to threaten Constantinople. So, yes, I mean, he, he's more of a pirate than a kind of, um, um, I suppose, ruler of, of, of a state. Um, that's really more, I think, really what Chaka is at this stage. And then the final player I wanted to mention in relation to the Seljuk threat from the east is Kilij Arslan. Yeah. Uh, who's he and when does he turn up? Well, he uh, he ends up as the ruler of, of Nicaea. Um, so with Suleiman and, and various others come and go. But he finally um, takes command there. And he's actually quite important because he's really the person who turns a, the, the, the Sultanate of Rome into, into a kind of um, reasonably powerful state. Um, he um, takes over another city as a, um, as a second power base, which is the city of Iconion, uh, what is now Konya. Mm-hmm. Um, that later is to become the capital of the, of the Rum Sultanate when Nicaea is lost. So that, that's mm-hmm. a killer chance line. And is he slightly more antagonistic towards the Byzantines than perhaps his father had been, Suleiman? Well, I think his, the, the attitude is really, I mean, what can we get out of these people? Um, we're antagonistic yeah. towards them if they're a threat to us. But if we can get advantage from them, mutual advantage, we'll, we'll make a treaty with them. And um, yes, sometimes he, he is at war with them, um, but sometimes he really wants to be at peace with them so that he can actually face off uh, the Danish men, Turks, or other threats right. coming from Syria, um, from Muslim powers. So a complicated picture then. <laughs> right. Fantastic. That's another excellent breakdown, a wonderful assessment of the Eastern threats that the Byzantine Empire faced. We'll see you in the next episode, Jonathan, where we finally take a look at Alexios I Komnenos and ask ourselves just how successful he was in stabilizing the empire. I've been Ken. And this is Teach Medieval.